0: Love. Ravage Love, season three, episode two. Hi, Julie.
1: Bonjour, René. Comment ça va?
0: Oh my God, ça va froid. Ça va
1: froid.
0: <laughs> ça va froid. It's cold <laughs> here.
1: Yeah, for people who don't know, uh, I am in Ottawa, which is Canada's capital, and today it's actually pretty mild. It's like minus 10 because it was snowing a bit. You are in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. How cold is it there today, Renee?
0: Well, it said it was going to be minus 31. Um, With the wind chill, it's definitely more like minus 40. I think we were getting minus 51 at some point. I don't know when because I don't leave my house, Um, but it happened, so...
1: Yeah, I definitely heard that it went down to minus 50 degrees Celsius overnight in Edmonton. uh, Not last night, but the night before. So yeah, it's cold, but we're here to keep you warm because it's Valentine's Day week and it's Black History Month. So we're bringing you some spice. I personally am so excited to talk about my book this week because it was spicy. It was good. How about you, Renee?
0: Well, Julie, I read a bad, bad romance. It was awful.
1: Oh, no. Yeah,
0: it was awful.
1: (laughs) Well, okay, so that we can end on a good note, because it's Valentine's Day weekend. How about you just start us off? Because I am now very much interested in knowing how (sighs) it was a bad romance in the bad sense of the word.
0: (laughs) I would I would love to get this off my conscience so I can move on to bigger and better things. Um, wow. So I read a book, a book I say loosely, <laughs> called Black Cocktails. That's C-O-C-K Tales. Um, it's part of the Texas Secret Sex Society series. This one was called Nubian Pantasies. Like like panties, <laughs> nope. panty fantasies um
1: penny is the worst word in the English language please it please.
0: really is um and it was written by somebody called Derek Lakay's and Derek LaKay's is from a small town in Louisiana he studied mental health at Northwestern he played two years of professional Canadian football
1: oh cool. that's cool CFL player
0: yeah I don't know for what team though um He worked in behavioral hospitals for a while before he quit to open his own catering business. Um, That business went under due to COVID and he has his own production company now um, where he's done ghost writing for uh, TV and film. I guess he makes movies. I haven't seen any of them. Um, He claims to be a best-selling author. Now, I'm going to tell you, Julie, I don't think that's true. I he, he's known I say loosely again um for his book how to get away with cheating which is a play on how to get away with murder that's the one I tried to read and I just couldn't do it so I switched over to Black Cocktails which please um Black Cocktails has a rating one rating of three stars on Goodreads and um his best-selling book has 11 reviews on Amazon with um, a 4.9 out of five overall rating. So where do I start? Um, this book didn't have an editor. I'm just going to start off right there, even though it turns out actually three people wrote this book. So Derek LaCase, Tia LaCay's, his wife and somebody called Robert Jackson um, are credited for writing this book, but none of them proofread it. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, the story was all over the place the characters were all mixed up at one point the text moved from being on the left side to the middle and it went on for like ever Uh, but there was no reason for it nothing was happening that was special that all the text needed to be in the middle um the story is about um, a woman named Monique Lacaze and she is a Uh, former supermodel slash actress who became a TV host and she's interviewing Robert Black who is the creator of the Sex Society he is a former Navy SEAL who was in an accident um, where he got hit by a chemical bomb and lost 50% of his vision so he was discharged at 25 from uh, the Navy and then he moved to Dallas to become a stripper under the name Black Thunder now, he's only known as Black, and he runs this uh, secret society. Something to know about him is he has, quote, a long, thick 12-and-a-half-inch dick with one-inch-thick vein that wrapped around it like a rope.
1: Nope. Yeah. Nope.
0: And that's not even the biggest penis in this
1: story. Oh, my.
0: Yeah, so this is a story about a woman interviewing a man um, who's incredibly successful and has a 15-room mansion and blah, blah, blah. Um, and his job after opening the secret society was he would be hired uh, by white people to um, fuck fuck their wives Um, and so the story talks about three different situations where he was hired to be part of a cuckold situation Um, in fact chapter two is called JJ is a cuck and I loved that title for the chapter um there's six chapters in this book but only three of them have chapter markings so all of a sudden you're like on chapter two then it's like chapter five and you're like what um i don't even want to get into like every single thing that happened i'm gonna talk more about the ridiculous things that happened because this book was really problematic because um one it's all about cuckolding which you know, it has a, a big internalized, like, racist foundation. And I'm going to go into that because I'm not reading anything today. I did a TED talk instead. Uh,
1: <laughs> Buckle up, bitches. We're oh. going for a ride. Yeah. Excited.
0: So, so the first situation, he gets hired um, to cuck this guy called JJ. Um, and then in the same chapter, he. He cucks this other guy whose wife hired him. Um, The thing with the second situation, though, is that sometimes the woman's name was April and other times the woman's name was Lana. It wasn't consistent. It switched back and forth. Again, an editor would have helped this story. Um, And then all of a sudden the text is centered in the story. And then there's a, a third situation what I I am going to talk about where a Congresswoman, a white Congresswoman um, hires black to um, give, be a dom, to be a dom. And part of why the secret sex society is so uh, popular is because it's secret, Julie. It's he's supposed to have incredible discretion, which is why all these famous white people go to him for these sexual experiences. Now in this uh, dom sub relationship that they had um he puts her in all kinds of positions where it's no longer discreet and has her like naked in front of a security camera in a hotel and um at one point they order some pizza hut and an old black man delivers it and he's like hey you can have a tip or my my slut's gonna suck your dick this old man had a bigger dick than Black Thunder. His was 15 inches. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Yeah, and so she gives him a blowjob, and then, Julie, this is where I got mad. Uh-oh. Oh. She spit the old man's cum on the pizza. And what if it was stuffed crust? Oh, like, oh. that's a that's a treat. That's a treat.
1: You don't just put
0: someone's cum on a stuffed crust no, pizza.
1: No, no, no. No, No, I don't like to yuck people's yums, but that is too far. Too
0: far. Like, don't defile stuff crust, please and thank you. Um, Also in this scene where um, Black is is having this dom-sub encounter with this woman, he anal rapes her. And um, I have big feelings about that because that's not what a healthy dom-sub relationship looks like, no matter what. During all of these encounters with these white women, he never wears a condom. So there's just cum everywhere always. Um, it's rough. It's really rough. And then the, um, the journalist Monique goes to his house. He's going to have a big sex party and um, she has sex with like a white guy and then um, she's going upstairs and having a shower. And then she finds this thing called the black room and the black room is filled with Afro-American people having a good time. But then it's also, I I don't know how she saw the people because when she goes in, there's like a hallway and then it goes to like this orgy room where the lights are out. Um, and she's just kind of like walking around and then she like just has sex with a million people. Um, also gets anal raped. Uh, by like black people in this situation and um lots of come just everywhere now some of the the big issues with this book um is a lot of, it's a language really um so you know in in the situation there's one situation where he's he's banging this woman and um the author says things like he bred her and she's like yelling at him to like um fill her up with his cum and, and breed her and then i don't know if if the author's actually ever had sex because at some point the, the black is exploring her womb with his dick
1: no 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 and you can't no. do that you can't it cannot be done also cannot if it could be done. be done it's like with a sound that a doctor puts in to like put in your iud and it's so excruciatingly painful that you look through the back of your skull like there's no way someone is getting off on that nor is it possible with your 12 and a half inch dick sir with your big thing no
0: yeah no
1: renee no
0: it says black black's cock explored the depths of her womb nope yeah and later you know there's a scene where um the woman's like having this cuck situation with her husband and she's like, fill up that condom with your cum, black thunder. And it's like, he filled it up with like an inch and a half of cum, And then she's like, come here and and watch him drink your kids. And I'm just like, okay, all right. So here's, here's some of the um, language they used for, for genitals. Um, They used, Areola, nipple, camel toe, which I hadn't read before. Oh
1: yeah, that's new.
0: Yeah, tits, breasts, um, married pussy, which came up a lot, was like stressing that these women were married. Ropes of hot cum, thick glob of his cum into her fertile womb. That's a quote. Um, gaping, so much gaping. The assholes were gaping, the vaginas were gaping. Anytime a black penis went near a woman, it left a gaping hole. Um supple hole thick black meat man meat uh, black meat pistol nether lips hot womanhood vulva cunt mounds wet love tunnel labia love hole bum hole and squirting and i don't know if i've had a lot of squirting in any of the books that i've read um this book was written by a man for men and i was excited about that because i was like hey this is a demographic i don't think i've read except for like our pulp novels right Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and i
0: enjoyed my pulp novel it was a lot of fun and it was about like mutual pleasure and it wasn't racist and whatever um i don't know if i'm allowed to say that this book is racist because it was written by a black man um but i feel like based on reading it that he might have a lot of really big bad deep feelings about um dynamics between black and white people and i did some research on the term cuckold. And I think it's important um that I that I talk about this in as it relates to this book. So um do you know what that word means? Do you know what, what a cuckold is? A cuck?
1: Um I believe it has serious racial isn't it related to enslaved people? And Not like, exactly. I thought it was related to like mm-hmm. the history and like the idea that like you a white man watches his wife get railed, his white wife get railed by a black man or something. There's something. I don't know exactly. But yes, I'm not surprised. Oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it Just just hit me with it.
0: Okay, so um, you're not wrong that that in a modern context is where we mostly see it is in pornography, right? The whole cuck uh, trope is usually... A white man either watching but usually giving permission to a black man to fuck his white wife. So the term cuck comes from cuckold, which is an insulting word for a m- man whose wife is cheating on him. And according to the Oxford English Dictionary, it was um, first used in the mid-13th century in a Middle English poem, which was actually pretty, like j- – like, forward thinking for the time because it's a, it's a story about how, you know, if a woman is being abused by her philandering husband, it's no surprise that she would cheat on him too. So that's the idea. But as Paul uh, Strudevant from the Public uh, Medievalist says, is that through the lens of the toxic patriarchal masculinity of the Middle Ages, that terminology like took a really dark turn. So if you look at like Shakespeare's plays and poems, half of them are about the anxiety about being cheated on, right? Like losing your woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is a gendered opposite of the word cuckold, which is cut queen, which was first seen in 1546, Julie. But um, it didn't get used. It didn't, it didn't catch on the same way that like, um, you know, the word cuck did. And so the reason for that is that women's infidelities ar- arouse anxiety, whereas men's infidelities elicit praise. Which is really important. So, then I found this other article from uh, Zoe Zoe Samduzi, who is a Zimbabwean American writer, and I found this article on Vice. She's known for her book um, as Black as Resistance, and she's written for a bunch of different things. Um, so, I'm going to read directly what she wrote because I can't I can't say it better than this. So, this article was called uh, "What Interracial Cuckold Porn Reveals About White Male Insecurity." Here we go. What dissonance is there in the psychosexualities of whiteness such that white men are simultaneously terrified and contemptuous of monstrous black manhood and desirous and envious of the spectacle of their monster black cocks brutalizing white women? If we consider that kings often play on our greatest insecurities, it's easy to explain the existence of the quote interracial cuckoldry genre. Using white logics of racial purity, a cuckoldery scenario between a black man and a white woman represents one of the greatest threats posed to whiteness, the ultimate neutralization of white manhood. It is a visual rendering of white men as helpless and ineffectual while their white women are being defiled. Um... Though with the implied approval of their oversight. We know this white fear is nothing new. A gangbang of this racial composition is the kind of dark fantasy, for instance, the mythological or mythology of animalistic black men preying on and assembling to rape innocent white women that is historically justified with lynching. Um, then we move on to the alt-right, Julie. So the alt-right.
1: Yes, yes. I was you- going to say, who uses the word cuck more than Kingsters these days is little bitchy boys in khaki pants and red baseball caps.
0: That's right. So the term cuckservative, you may have heard that, um, has been brought into um, the mainstream by alt-right um, groups using it to basically um, make it synonymous with like weakness and um mostly in in the term in terms of donald trump it was being used um to describe any opponents of his um you know uh, disagreeing with him so they take that term to describe people like jeb bush or marco rubio or mainstream conservative pundits um and what, what, um um what Paul Strudevant says here is that um it's easy to see how Trump could be seen in the cuck paradigm. He was not just beating his opponents, but humiliating them, sliming their wives and families. It did not matter that none of it was true. What matters is that he forced them to watch as he violated their families, which I think is really important. And so basically... The term "cuck" has um, meta-sized and t- took on new meanings as a catch-all insult for any man that these alt rights despise, um, and in some circles, it's also become synonymous with race traitor. And so we see that a lot at um, like rallies and stuff, right? People being scared that their their whiteness is going to be marred and and you know tainted and and mixed with like you know brown folk. And anyway, Julie that's what my book was about.
1: (laughs) But not from a critical lens. Like it's one thing to be like, we're going to fuck with this trope. And, but it wasn't, it was not that at all.
0: No. And I don't know. I'm not sure how to like, I don't, I can't really speculate why this novel that was novel novella that was written by a man for men, but was written by a black man about cuck, cuck scenarios, with the black man and white couples, I'm not sure how to unpack it because that's not my history and that's not something I understand. But after reading all of this stuff, it's just kind of like, what, what do I do with my hands? What do I do <laughs> with all this information? And um, I don't know. I don't think I get to say um, whether this was appropriate or not um, to the black community um i can say that as a white person i was very comfortable with this book i i will not read anything by this author again um and i I can't recommend it frankly if, if for no other reason um anal rape was glorified in this so and not only was the white woman anal raped a black woman was anal raped as well by a black man so um i just i don't is this is this what's like can we can we okay i'm going to put the plea out there could some men please write some like appropriate romance for one another
1: yes yes like, i would also, love to see that yeah and also i would like to see some men confident enough to read stories by women
0: 100%. <laughs>
1: i said it and you know that's a perfect Again, for folks who are regular listeners to the show, you know that we don't talk about the books before we come on the show. So but this is a perfect transition because my book was written by a woman about two men. Oh. And was not offensive. Again, I'm not a man, let alone a gay man. But uh yeah, it is it can be done, I guess is the point, right? Like you can do it, but oh my goodness. Yeah, that's so much to unpack. And again, how many pages was this?
0: Um, I mean, it was only like an hour's read. It took me way longer because um, I had to stop reading it. I don't know, maybe like 150 pages. Maybe This
1: is, this is a thing that people don't, if you <laughs> you've never undertaken a project like this like we have this is a this is one of the complexities is that sometimes the shortest books take the longest time to read because they're so bad that you have to take breaks because it's insufferable yeah or you like i read a paragraph and then i have to reread it because i wasn't paying attention because it's so bad so i have no doubt that it took you several tries to get through that book but
0: it really did but i'm I want to hear something good and I want to hear something romantic and I want to just take whatever you're going to tell us and make my Valentine's week a happy one. So can you just, Oh my gosh, girls! I got my you. heart.
1: I got you, but I'm so glad. Thank you for trudging through and unpacking that because I think this is such a perfect example of how it can be done and it can be done well. Uh, so, <laughs> My book this week is called Finding Joy by Adriana Herrera. And if you're thinking, hmm, that sounds familiar, it's because it is. So I've read an Adriana Herrera book, actually the Christmas book that I wrote, uh, sorry, that I read called American Love Story. Yeah. So turns out American Love Story ended up winning the 2019 Ripped Bodice Award for Excellence in Romantic Fiction. So amazing. I loved that book it was probably that was your
0: dreamer story
1: right sure was yeah and it was so good it was so, good it was so good and so tender and so filthy and this book is the same so again uh cannot recommend adriana herrera's stuff enough this is not my second book of hers and i thoroughly enjoyed it so Adriana Herrera, if you're unfamiliar, was born and raised in the Caribbean, but for the last 15 years has let her job and her spouse take her all around the world. She loves writing stories about people who look and sound like her people, getting unapologetic, happy endings. Mm. And if you recall, Renee, because we fangirled hard, yes. like many romantic uh Writers, they have, you know, oftentimes the writing romance is their side hustle, or they have a side hustle on top of it. Her day job is as a trauma therapist for sexual violence and intimate partner violence survivors in New York City. So, oh my God. a hero. And truly, 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 uh, this book is everything that I love. It's feminist, it's filthy, it has good characters. Ooh, so good. So, this book was published in June of last year, so June 2020. It's called Finding Joy. On the cover, it's two beautiful brown men, like staring longingly into each other's eyes, like almost like a cartoon. So good. So, brace yourself. So I'm excited. Embraced. Desta Walker. Opening page. Desta Walker lands in Ethiopia, where he spent the first few years of his life. It's bittersweet for him because it, Ethiopia is, to quote, "where my parents lived their happiest years," and it was also the place where my family. Where my father died, so Desta has a lot of feelings, and Desta has been avoiding going back to Ethiopia for a while, even though he's had plenty of opportunity because he's based in the U.S. But is an aid worker with Aids U uh, Aida, not AIDS, Aid USA, who is in for the e- uh, who is going to be working in the Ethiopian capital to conduct an evaluation of a local project. So his specialty is doing evaluation of some uh nonprofit work and you know kind of um yeah just like social work being a good person. He's assigned a driver on his first day and it is a young beautiful like 6 foot 5 man with Oof. big old dimples whew, named Elias. Or sorry Elias, I think is how you say it. Elias, my French comes through so I'm going to call him Elias cuz that's how I would say it.
0: Can I just interject really quick for one second? Um,
1: Absolutely. I insist on it. Of,
0: because of that name. You know how like Margaret Atwood wrote um,
1: at Alias? Grace.
0: Yeah. I used to always read it as Elias Grace and I <laughs> thought that was their name. And then I watched the miniseries and I was like, that's not what she meant at all. So as you were saying that, I was like, it's Elias. But it's not. <laughs> but
1: okay. it is. It is probably is Elias because it's E-L-I-A-S. Is that Elias? I oh. think <laughs> My French is coming in. I'm like, alias? So it's Elias. Elias. You're right. It is Elias. Here we are just helping but each other understand. the Not Elias Grace. <laughs> not Elias Grace, but actually Elias. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People need to understand that No, 100% this is a classic Julie LaLone move. Um, my first language is French mixed in with English. And so I, as my mother says, continuously get my syllables in the wrong classes all the time. So um, I thought Barbados was pronounced Barbados for like the first 20 years of my life so uh, <laughs> just like no it's a thing I also called it Oregano anyways it's a thing um, <laughs> it's what happens when you learn to read English before you learn how to speak English yes. you just throw a little French on that throw a little sauce on it so Elias is tall and beautiful and my favorite part is that he has big old dimples like Ugh, I'm a sucker for some good dimples so obviously Desta is immediately smitten but because of the nature of his work that he's traveled the world quite a bit, he always does research on the history of the country. And in this particular case, because he you know, he was born there and his family lived there for the first few years of his life, he's connected to the country enough to know that it's deeply homophobic. And so Ooh. that's a real theme throughout the book is the idea of stealth and how do you flag to someone in a context in which it's unsafe to be out but people still find each other and that's what I think is just truly the magic of being queer is that you have to just be creative with how you form relationships and how you cruise and all of those kinds of things so Desta's like like stars in the eyes from the (laughs) jump but also like I can't just say that so Although we never get Elias's direct perspective, so the book never kind of turns to his perspective, it's clear that he's vibing. He's feeling Mm -hmm. the vibe um, and loves Desta right away because in Elias's mother tongue, the word Desta means joy. Oh. Oh, So then you're like finding joy. Oh, it all comes Uh together. (laughs) Right? Oh, I love it. I love it so hard. So, of course, they hit it off right away. Elias is a mega babe who's also extremely smart, very philosophical, very interested in, like, unpacking deep issues. And then if that's not enough, if you're not like, Elias, be my friend. Then Elias, over coffee, ends up kind of opening up a bit and is kind of shy to talk about his work, but But Dessa's like, no, I'm I'm genuinely super interested in social justice issues. Like, tell me. So he's like, oh, I have an MA in psychology. My thesis was on the psychological effects of colonization in Eastern Africa, particularly masculinity, misogyny and social constructs of gender as they are informed by colonialism. I'm like, I want to read it. I was like, is there Mm -hmm. a link to this? So, yeah, Elias is a deep philosophical thinker and Desta realizes everything between them feels super effortless. And in the past, Desta feels like he has to do the most in order to keep that person's attention. But Desta realizes, like, oh, when I'm with Elias, I can just be myself and we can have these deep chats. And it doesn't feel corny or weird or pretentious. It's just, like, how he sees the world. Um, so... At some point, he has a colleague who's a real piece of shit that he was warned is a real piece of shit. And sure enough, uh, at one point, he's just like being a total mis- like sexist dude bro to a colleague. Desta chimes in and is like, hey, leave her alone. And then he basically pulls the, oh, you're just trying to white knight so that you can get into her pants. And so he just says, fuck you. That's not the case. And also I'm gay. And it's like, okay, I just outed myself to my colleagues. And then in order to kind of test the waters with... Elias on one of their long, so they're doing all these trips where they have to drive through the countryside and interview people to see how the work is going and, you know, local residents, how they're being impacted by the work. So they have these long road trips and they play music for each other and they kind of talk about their interests but then he's like, ha ha ha, I brought a bunch of audiobooks with me, we could play an audiobook and one in particular is Queer YA. Oh. So his way of, like, kind of putting out some feelers, which I thought was a brills, was, oh, I'm just going to play this story, and then we'll see what Elias says, if he has any comments, and if he's deeply homophobic, then I'll know right away by his response. So Desta says nothing, and Elias says nothing. They just listen to the book. Then on a night out with colleagues, it kind of ends up being the two of them in the corner, and they're just, like, chatting, and Desta just kind of makes a comment about, like, Oh, no, sorry. um, Elias asks Desta a comment like, oh, do you have, you know, do you have uh, a certain someone at home? Because I can help you bring, you know, find some great gifts to buy them to bring home. And he's just like, fuck it. I don't have a boyfriend. Uh, Sorry, I, um, I don't have anyone back home. I broke up with my boyfriend right before I came here. And all the colleagues are kind of over here and kind of look. And one of them leans in, woman, super nice. And she's like, that's... I'm really sorry to hear that and like I hope you're doing okay with your heartbreak but also like you might not want to tell anyone out that because like I'm chill and Elias is chill but like most people aren't assuming he didn't uh, he wasn't aware that it's a homophobic culture so he notices again like okay Elias is kind of like taken aback by what I said but it doesn't seem offended by it so does that he mean he's vibing I don't know and they're kind of playing this game then they decide to just go out the two of them. It obviously is a date, but they pretend it's not. And Elias shares that he's been accepted into a PhD program at <gasps> Columbia in uh-huh. New York. And then all of a sudden, Desta's like, Oh my gosh, this he's going to come back to the States. Like, maybe I can actually make a move on him because like, you know, it could actually turn into something. But poor Elias is torn because he feels like he would be disloyal to his family and his culture and really wants to fight against the idea that you have to leave Ethiopia in order to make a name for yourself and he really Uh has this real pride but is also wanting to further his studies. so he's really really torn. Then they end up getting busy so the date turns into like hey I'm vibing I'm vibing and then basically they're like hey do you want to come back to my place and they kind of give each other this look of like okay this is what's up so then they get down and it is hot then you find out that it's not just Elias that's dealing with this big struggle of do I go to Columbia or not that Desta feels conflicted because he wants to go back to school and he doesn't actually want to be an aid worker anymore but he got into that work because it's what his father did and he wanted to make his family proud. And when his dad passed away, he felt that extra pressure. And so they really can like, just really console each other on how you want what you want in life, but you want to be loyal to your family. So it's very beautiful. And there's a family friend of his that lives in Ethiopia that he hasn't seen since he was a kid. She invites them over for dinner. He's kind of talking about, you know, just, oh yeah, I met this guy, like just being like very vague. And she's like, obviously you love him. Like, obviously you like him, fucking invite him over, Jesus Christ. So they do, they go over, and then to surprise, like, Elias, like, kisses him in front of her, so he's like, okay, so he does like me, because he just took a bit of a risk, they fuck again, and it's so filthy, Renee, I can't even tell you, like, but in, like, the <laughs> best way, it's just, like, so hot, and the part that I loved so much is that there's this dynamic in the kind of relationship, I guess if you want to call that between them, where is seen as, like, the more... Kind of not aggressive, but like the more assertive one. Whereas Elias is like philosophical and really, you know, takes his time and thinks carefully about the words he says, and is very kind of quiet. Then they get to fucking, and to Desta's delight, Esta is, t- or sorry, to Desta's delight, Elias, the quiet philosophical man, is Dommy as. and like nice filthy mouth just like telling him he wants to do filthy things to him and Desta's just like hold my back I'm clearly in love with this person Uh well then Elias and Desta are finishing their deep deep fucking and then he gets a text saying that his dad is in the hospital so he has to bolt and no. then Destin is like you know what what am i doing i'm getting my heart set on this guy we're setting up unrealistic expectations he can't be with me here in this country he doesn't want to leave i want to go like i don't know what to do i'm just gonna start like kind of pushing him away classic fuck boy mentality. Instead of just coming out and saying it, I'm just going to be cold. So now Elias feels rejected. He's like, you know, we had this moment. I thought we had something and now you're being cold to me and my dad is sick. And it's just like... It's too much. And of course you're seeing it from Desta's perspective and you can just read through the fuckboy mentality of like, just come out and say it, just say, I like you. And you know, this can't work. So we need to either just make it fucking until I leave in a few weeks or break it off. But he just like does this passive aggressive shit. And I don't have any patience for that nonsense. Be forthcoming. Don't fuck with people's hearts. Then Elias is obviously hurt. It turns out his dad's going to be okay. So he's like really, Relieved about that. And then they have one last little trip they have to make. And it's awkward between them. They get there. They realize that the hotel double booked everybody. So they have to share a room. Mm. So obviously they make up. You know, he discloses that I really like you. I didn't want to push you away, but I thought it would be easier if we created some distance before I moved. Because obviously you can't leave. And then Elias is like, I love you. And Desta's like, oh, my God, I love you, too. So then they fuck again. And then Elias says, come meet my parents. And Desta's like, whoo, because Elias is not out to his parents. So that becomes its own thing. They go there. He kind of chickens out. And I say this in quotation marks because I would never call someone cowardly for not coming out to their family. But he chickens out. He goes out into the courtyard, is like trying to pull himself together. Desta's like, Are you okay? Are you okay? Elias turns to him and he's just like, I just love you so much. Kisses him. Elias's mom sees she's mad. It's a whole thing. Then you're not really sure what's going to happen. And then, of course, it's a happy ending. So Elias and Desta have a chat. Desta says, I'm going back to the US this week. You decide what you want to do, but I will always love you. Elias is says, I'm coming to New York. I'm telling my family I'm gay. I'm coming to New York. I'm going to school and we're going to be together and you're like, Whoo, you think that's beautiful. Then he's like, okay, but I have to get some stuff settled here. So I will uh, meet you in New York. So he goes, Desta goes to the airport thinking he's going to be alone. Of course, like beautiful rom-com, like climax of the movie. He comes to the airport and is like, hey, boo, I'm I'm here. I'm leaving with you. Actually, JK, I was just telling you that. I told my parents, I'm moving, and we're going to go to New York and be together. Then you're like, could this get any sweeter? Oh, it can, because then they get on the plane, and because Desta was an aid worker with an NGO that I've never heard of being that much of a baller as someone who flies for the NGOs, but they <laughs> get him a first class ticket back home, but that means he can't sit with Elias, so he gives up his first class ticket to sit oh. in the back with his boo and then they have the little blanket because it's a little red eye flight so he goes to cuddle into the blanket and hold his hand and then Elias is like no and takes his hand and puts it over the blanket so that they can hold hands and he's like I will never ever ever be ashamed of loving you
0: oh my god (gasps) oh shit girl (laughs) Oh,
1: that's so beautiful (laughs) Oh, so beautiful so tender so good so this book was phenom it was so good it was super well written uh, it was the characters were fully developed the thing i loved about the american love story that i also loved about this is that i find one of the most annoying things frankly tropes within romantic books but also romantic films is the tiniest conflict always gets blown out of proportion and i think mm-hmm. that actually sends this message to the world that any conflict in a relationship means impeding divorce, which is just so dramatic. So I love that in the first one, when they, you know, the book I read at Christmas, when they had a little bit of a fight, it was like, realistically, they didn't think they were going to break up. They just were worried about rebuilding trust. Yeah. Similarly, right. and, which is like, actually what's realistic. And this book it was like, the conflict came from real places. Like this was a real conflict. Like he wanted to be, make his family proud, but lived in a country that was homophobic. There's also this incredible, Uh, piece that I didn't get into just because it's you know doesn't feed necessarily the plot but Elias talks about his ex and how his ex was also an aid worker and was super colonial basically and when Elias disclosed you know I'm not out to my family and that he had this like oh I I know you know you poor oppressed people in Africa can't Uh. you know that kind of bullshit like condescending and Mm -hmm. so Elias is just like look that's not what this is I'm trying to be respectful of my culture and I want things to change and I want to be out because I want to send a message but also like my parents are old and just like really real shit also the author in the afterword talks about how she herself lived in Ethiopia for many years so kind of similar to um Desta like lived there but you know isn't from there but feels a strong connection and so The references are, you know, true to life in Ethiopia um, and there's a real, yeah, like fighting against this idea of that homophobia only exists in East Africa, for example, right? It's like, no, you know, like you and I know people that are queer in Canada with white parents born and raised who can't be out to their families. Like Mm -hmm. that's not unique to Africa by any means. So just like really telling the like colonial gaze to go fuck itself and like here for it, and in terms of spice, whew, this might be the spiciest mainstream book we've ever read. And by mainstream, I mean, like, not, you know, labeled erotica. in like, it was so hot and so filthy. There was explicit condom usage and discussion. It was filthy. And, like, you know, he was very much dommy, but it was super consensual. They clearly set up boundaries. There's none of this, like, I just met you on the street and I know what your boundaries are. Like, they talked about it, but in a super hot way. Into it. So I'm gonna give it five out of five injaras with spicy stew. For folks who are not familiar, injera, I think it's injera. I say it injara because I pronounce everything incorrectly, as we've discovered. But <laughs> have you ever had injera? It's that bread, right? Yeah, that's like sour, spongy bread yeah. that tastes okay on its own, but it's meant to just sop up some tasty stew. And as a vegan, yeah. like give me some fucking Ethiopian food, lentil mm-hmm. stew. The best lentil stew I've ever had in my life was from Ethiopian restaurants with like some injera. So yeah, five out of five spicy stew with injera. Like if you want people talking shit to each other while they suck each other off, like pick up (laughs) some finding joy. So the little (laughs) snippet that I'm going to read you is quite beautiful and tender. And I feel like it's a perfect thing to end on after your like misogynist possibly racist really fucking terrible rapey book that you
0: read yeah
1: let's let's and uh,
0: on a good note here
1: <laughs> it's on tuesday weekend let's let's find it up so this is when they are still being kind of sussing each other out and trying to stealthily inquire if both of them are out and both of them are into each other so they're at this A bar restaurant thing kind of just sitting quietly uh, in the corner while music is bumping around them. Mm -hmm. And this is the conversation. So they're kind of sharing with each other. And then Desta realizes, Oh, I basically kind of taken over the conversation. I'm so sorry. I shook my head and took a big gulp of my beer. I totally took over this conversation. We were talking about you. It sounds like you're not sure if you want to go. And he's referring to the U S would you come back after you're finished? Elias raised his eyebrows and lifted his hands in a gesture of concession before he answered, You just said a lot of things that I would like to hear more about, but I will let you get away with changing the subject. It was like he could see right through me. And yes, I am conflicted. I know it's an amazing opportunity and I would be foolish not to take it, but I'm scared leaving will make it hard for me to come back. And the idea of not returning feels like I'd be betraying my country and myself. My impulse was to minimize, say something like, don't put all that on yourself, or it's your life and you do what you need to do. But then I thought about my own struggle. I knew very well that deciding between what made me happy and disappointing those I loved could sometimes feel insurmountable. When I looked at the lines around his mouth, I saw the tension this conversation was bringing up for him. Elias would get my struggle better than most. His own was very close to mine. That realization made me feel more understood than I had in a very long time. That's a really big burden to carry. I sat there, quietly giving him more time to say what was on his mind. After we distracted ourselves with taking sips of beer and attempting to finish the pizza on our plates, Elias finally continued I guess it will depend on how I feel once I experience life in a different place. How I take to it, you know? I love Addis and my family is here, but sometimes I want to have more freedom too. I cocked my head to the side, not completely certain I understood what he was saying and was cautious not to make any assumptions. Do you mean like not living with family? He sat very still for a moment, then shook his head. You know what? It's not important. I leaned even closer, desperate for him to go on. No, I want to know. I mean, unless you don't want to tell me your entire life history, like I just did to you. He smiled and his head came a little closer to mine. It was like our bodies were trying to override the rules by which we were supposed to play. I like hearing about your life. His words pulsed through me, just lit me up, ramping up even more the anticipation of the secret he was about to tell me. It felt like my heart was pounding between my temples, because I knew what he was about to say, and that both terrified and elated me. When I say I want more freedom to be myself, I mean I want to know what it's like to be like you. The flutter in my chest was intense, like a bird was flapping its wings against my ribcage, and even before I asked the question, I knew the answer. That comment, like me, could mean anything but i knew i knew i'd known from that first moment still my voice shook when i asked like me instantly the energy around us seemed to change elias was no longer somber he was smiling but he put his hands up okay now i think i scared you damn it elias keep talking i'm not scared with the smile still on his face he tapped my foot with his under the table He leaned in like he wanted to avoid yelling over the noise, but even with chatter all around us, his voice was sure and clear. I'm gay, and I want to know what it's like to live openly. I could never do that here. All the breath left my body, and not because I had never heard this kind of thing before. I'd been working all over the world for years, at times in places where it was not safe to even discuss LGBTQ rights, must-slash be openly gay. Hell, I dated a few guys who had to live on the DL for their own safety. But Elias's revelation felt like he was opening a door. I rushed to make sure he knew I understood the kind of trust he was placing in my hands. Elias, I just want you to know I would never betray your confidence. He tapped my foot again. I know, Kanjo. He gave me the smallest smile and my entire body buzzed with anticipation. There was so much more I wanted to say and to ask, but I didn't want to get too intense or seem needy. So I latched onto the only safe thing I could think of to say. What does that mean, Kanjo? This time, the smile he gave me made my entire body light up. It means beautiful. Oh. Oh!
0: God. God. Son of a bitch! Uh, You know what? You can tell. You can tell this was written by a therapist. (laughs) Like, Brene Brown got nothing on this.
1: Like, exactly. Exactly. Like, Adriana for life. Like, people unpacking their trauma in a healthy way. People like, oh, oh, that perspective taking, oh, <laughs> self-reflection, what? <laughs> hey, oh, so that was the absolute delight called Finding Joy by Adriana Herrera. Truly, if you are getting into romance, if you are new to the genre, if you're just like, or if you're into it, but you're just wanting something to like take you away from the first page, her books, I can't recommend them enough. They are top shelf, top shelf and a perfect read for Valentine's Day weekend during mm. Black History Month. Oh, love it.
0: I'm so glad you read another one of her books.
1: Oh, same. same. I honestly could read. She doesn't have that many, unfortunately, but I could read one of her books every single week, even if we weren't recording the podcast. Like, I'm so delighted to have stumbled upon this woman, just like a true gem in the crown that is this podcast. Truly,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. I feel much better after hearing your story.
1: (laughs) Right. I'm like, Adriana Herrera is here to help us from the hot mess that was your book this week. Like she always comes through. So I'm delighted I could share that with you all. I'm so sorry that your Valentine's Day read was (laughs) not great, but there's still so many weeks in which you can redeem.
0: I know I have some good things lined up. I'm so excited. So I'm I'm coming back hard next week with some sci-fi. So
1: yes! Uh, Okay, I love that. I love that. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to next week and I bought myself these really cute little teeny tiny baby earrings. I sent you a picture. That's my Valentine's Day present to myself. So Wonderful.
1: I bought myself some stilettos, so we, we each stayed on brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Happy Valentine's Day to us. Happy Galentine's Day,
1: Julie. Happy t- Galentine's Day to you too, Renee. Galentine's Day is on a f- Saturday this year, so mm-hmm. I mean, not that it really matters because no one's leaving our houses, but it's an opportune time to treat yourself. And I might, I might just rewatch every Valentine's Day episode of Parks and Rec and yes. maybe watch Booksmart afterwards. Like just like love a good Thumb and Louise, just love a good female friendship movie. I'm not going to lie to you.
0: You are a rare exotic bird. And like true, true to form, uh, Julie sent my family Valentine's Day cards and they loved them. They're oh, so I'm excited. Oh,
1: so they arrived. <laughs> Yay. I yeah, love Valentine's Day. the girls were so Day. excited and happy. They were like, oh my God so love it. Love yeah it. so, so thank you you're very welcome happy valentine's day renee
0: happy valentine's day julie do you want to sing us out sure do
1: ravage love ravage love bye, bye. artwork for
0: the podcast was created by karen mcknight special thanks to press start to join for production assistance For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to join or on social media at P.S. The Number 2 J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com.